I want you to turn, please, with me in the Bible to that passage that we read in Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. I should say that as I'm here today, I'm also bringing with me, with me the greetings of our church in Leyburn, Wednesday Evangelical Church. We, they asked me to do that, and so I, uh, I do send our greetings. We very much appreciate your fellowship with us in uh, different ways, and we thank you particularly for your prayers as well. Genesis chapter 25. Really, this says... Uh, section of Genesis really commences from chapter 12. You have the opening 11 chapters, which of course are all about foundational principles, the creation and the establishment of our world. And then in chapter 12, we have this great and glorious promise that comes from God. It is a covenant commitment where God takes Abraham or Abram as he was, and he becomes Abraham, and he says this to him. In, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 to 3, he says, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that promise is again and again confirmed in Genesis. For example, in chapter 13, we have the same promise just reconfirmed to Abraham. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So that if, if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. And again, in chapter 15 and verse 5, And he brought him outside, as Abram outside, and said to him, Look towards the heavens, number the st- and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So that promise is clearly a, a very important promise. In fact, you will trace the promise right through the Old Testament and even right into the New Testament. But that promise is dependent, isn't it? It's dependent on Abraham finding himself a wife. He can't have offspring without a wife. And then it's dependent upon Abraham and his wife having a child. You can only have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky if you begin with at least one son. And if you follow the story through and you'll know all this, Abraham is given a wife, Sarah, or Sarah. And eventually, after a period of waiting, which is roughly 25 plus years, they have a son. The promise is kept. But that promise in Genesis 12 can only continue to be fulfilled if his son Isaac finds a wife. And then if Isaac and his wife are able to have a son. Because this line 
is a very important line. This family line is the line from which Jesus, the Messiah, will actually come. This promise in Genesis chapter 12 will ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus, who will call many people from Jews and Gentiles into truth-receiving faith in him, number of which you will not be able to count as the stars in the sky. So Abraham has to find himself a wife. Or even finds himself a wife, or God finds a wife for Abraham. And then Isaac also has to find himself a wife. And if you turn back to chapter 24, it's a fascinating chapter. You can read it for yourself. But there again, God provides Isaac with a wife. He provides him with Rebecca. So if God is going to fulfill his promise... A promise that ultimately will be fulfilled in Jesus, then Isaac and Rebekah have to have a son. And then that son, of course, has to find a wife, and the story goes on until eventually Jesus is born from this family line. So as we pick up the story then at chapter 25 and verse 20, we read that Isaac is 40 years old when he took Rebekah and uh, there is a problem. The problem is, tells us in verse 21 that she is barren. She is childless. And once again, the promise that God gave in chapter 12 is under threat. It cannot be fulfilled unless Isaac and Rebekah have a son. And this period of barrenness lasts for 20 years. And then twin boys are born. Jacob and Esau. And they are a story on their own. We're told, aren't we, verse 26, that Isaac was 60 years old, three score years old when when she bore him. Forty when they get together, 60, when, their child, when the twins are born. That's 20 years of waiting for God to fulfill his promise. That's 20 years when God's promise is in doubt, practically, at least, when that is 20 years when they must have been asking themselves, is God going to keep his word? Is God going to deliver on his promise? And we want to think then this morning about this waiting time. Because waiting is never easy. And if you are a particularly impatient person, then waiting is certainly not easy. Because we live in a society that tells us not to wait. It's an instant society. Everything is at your fingertips. Any questions that you have, you Google it on your phone. And within moments you have some form of answer. But throughout our lives, we will have to learn to wait. 
There are some things that are completely out of our control. There are some things that we cannot Google in order to get an answer for. And Christian and non-Christians all have to learn to wait. If you're single, you wait for the right person to marry. Then you wait for the children to be born. You might wait for that fulfilling job to take place. You wait for the moment to buy your first house. You have to learn as you, perhaps as we get older, we particularly learn that we have to wait for those medical appointments. You then have to learn to wait for the government department, whatever government department it is, to actually deal with the issue that you're trying to resolve. Waiting. Waiting. Lots of waiting. And of course, we've had to learn over the last 16, 18 months to wait. To wait. Wait until government lifted restrictions so we could, first of all, gather. Wait until the government lifted restrictions so we could at least sing. Waiting. Waiting's never easy, is it? And Christians in particular have to wait. We we need to learn to wait. We have to wait for God. Wait for God to do whatever it is that we are wanting him to do. We wait for him to save sinners, do we not? It's beyond our control. We pray and we preach and we proclaim, but only God saves sinners. So we wait. And he's promised to save sinners. So we wait on him to fulfill his promise. We may wait for Christians that we know to grow in grace. And some seem to take a very long time. And some seem to almost be stuck. And you just think, God, when are you going to answer my my prayer for this particular difficult person who just seems to be stuck in their faith. They don't seem to grow or develop or mature and we keep on praying for them. And then, of course, there's, a, there's, the, uh, there's the physical things that we may pray for. Christians and unbelievers pray for this, don't we? That our health may be restored. That the depression may be lifted. That our finances may improve. We simply have to learn to wait, don't we? So I want to think then about it, a long introduction I know, but let's think about waiting time. Particularly as we see it here in this passage. And let's ask a question. Let's ask, as Christians, what do we wait for? As Christians, what do we wait for? Well, in short, I've already hinted at this, we wait for God. We wait for God to do something. We wait for God to act. Rebecca did not have the power to conceive. In fact, no one has the power to conceive unless God himself grants the wonderful gift of children to us. We're told in Psalm 127 verse 3, Behold, children are inheritance from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. If you just turn over in chapter 29, we have a whole sordid issue of, uh, of uh, Jacob Marrying two women and all sorts of things happen, and then he 
he, he has uh, servants that he decides to sleep with and all that. It's all very messy. But if you look, for example, at, at chapter 29, verse 31... Where we read, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. See, the Lord opened her womb. Verse 32, 29, 32, Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, and now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son. And then chapter 30, verse 1, whenever Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I die. And she's rebuked for it. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? In other words, God is the one who gives children, isn't he? And so here is Isaac and Rebecca, and they're waiting for 20 years. They're waiting for God to fulfill his promise. And every month, they waited. Month after month, year after year. They're waiting for God to grant life. And after 20 years, God blesses them with twins. But there's more to it, of course, for, for Isaac and Rebecca than the fact that she's barren and she's waiting for God to give them children. They're in the line of promise. They're in this line that we talked about at the beginning from Abraham. This messianic line that from whom Jesus will come, the saviour of the world. The one that will bring salvation to sinners. So without a child, without a son, that line of promise will just collapse. So there's more at stake here than just a, a childless couple. Painful though that is. God's honour is at stake here. God honoured to keep his word is at stake. God's character is stake. God has spoken. God has promised. Is God going to keep his word? Is he going to keep his promise? Can God be trusted? That's what's at stake here. And for 20 years, God has withheld children from Isaac and Rebekah. For 20 years, if you like, there is a, there is a pause on the promise. Waiting for God to act. And there's nothing that... Isaac or Rebecca can do about it. They go through the procreation act, but they cannot produce the children. <laughs> it's a story that's familiar. If you, have, if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, you find a similar story. Over 25 years they wait before God gives them. A son. In fact, it seemed in Abraham and Sarah's case, it seemed as if it wasn't going to happen. Indeed, from a, a human perspective, it could not happen. But God acted just in time. 
And he fulfilled his promise. Likewise, in the Old Testament, the people of God waited. What did they wait for? They waited for God. God had promised them a Messiah, a Savior. And they wait. Prophet after prophet, come and speak about the Savior that will be born. And they wait. And they wait, and they wait, and there's nothing they can do about it. They wait for God to act. And then we're told in Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under law, so that we might receive adoption of sons. And the fullness of time at just the right time. After all the years of waiting, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. The Savior has come. See, the thing is that we have to learn to wait because God is never in a hurry. God's timing is always perfect. And we must learn to wait on God to act. Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca are waiting for God to act to fulfill a specific promise. A promise that goes back to Genesis 12. But most of our waiting isn't in that category, is it? We don't have specific promise the way they did. There is no promise, is it, to say that we will have children or grandchildren? Or that we'd get that job that we desire. Or that we will always have good health or financial security. Or even own our own home. There's no scriptural promise for that. None of that is guaranteed within scripture. So much of our waiting is, is, in, a, is in a different level, if you like. Because we're waiting with a sense of uncertainty. Concerning whether God will do those things for us. Will he save our children, our grandchildren, our neighbours, those that we know within our community? And therefore we always have to learn as we wait to submit to God's will and God's purpose in matters that we have no biblical promise for. No specific promise that God whacked in all of those situations. But there are things in the scripture that we do have promises for, aren't there? And we still have to wait. But we wait expectantly. Because we wait with confidence. We wait knowing that God will deliver. That God will keep his word. God will keep his promise. That was the case in the Old Testament with the coming of Jesus. The promise of Jesus. And that's our promise too, about the coming of Jesus. Remember when Jesus lived, and then he died, he rose again, he ascended. And we read in Acts 1, 11, this Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you see him go up into heaven. We have a promise that Jesus will come, and we've been waiting. We've been waiting for a very long time now, haven't we? We have all been waiting all our lifetime. We've been waiting for a very long time for Jesus 
to fulfill his promise, for God to keep his word. And therefore we must wait patiently. But we wait expectantly in this case because we do have a promise. Jesus will return. We can be sure of that. Because God always keeps his word. He always keeps his promise. He did it for Abraham. Right through the Old Testament, he fulfilled it in the coming of Jesus. And he will come again. Because he has said he will. And we must wait expectantly for him to fulfill his promise. And many of us in these days bemoan the state of our sinful world, don't we? How in particular our own nation has fallen so deeply into sin. And we long, don't we, for God to come and work and to revive his people and to save sinners. And we long for us to come and bring this world to an end. That Jesus will come that he will be glorified once again. Well, be patient. Because that day will come. Abraham had to be patient. Isaac has to be patient. The church of Jesus Christ today has to be patient. It will come. The Savior will come. And we have to be patient as he builds his church. That's a promise, isn't it? He will build his church. We can be confident of that, assured of that. All that God has chosen in eternity will come to him. But we have to wait for God to fulfill his word. And every time a, a, an unbeliever turns to Christ and is saved, that's another, another step towards the completion of the church, the fulfillment of his promises. So, as Christians, what do we wait for? We wait for God to act. Secondly, as Christians, what should we do as we wait? What do we do as we wait? As we wait for Christ to return, as we wait for Christ to build his church, what do we do? Well, we have a wonderful example in the text here of what we do. We do what Isaac did. What did Isaac did? Well, his wife's barren for 20 years, so Isaac prays, and in verse 21 we're told the result of that prayer. God hears, God answers, and the twins are born in verses 25 and 26. God answers the prayer of Isaac. He waited, and he waited, and we can assume that he's praying all this time, 20 years praying for God's fulfilled purpose, or for God's purpose to be fulfilled. And thankfully, Isaac didn't follow his parents' example. Remember what happened to Abraham and Sarah? They gave up waiting for a period of time, didn't they? Do you remember what happened? Sarah gave her servant Hagar to Abraham that she would become like a surrogate mother in order to try and hurry the promise along a little bit. But of course, her child's not in the line of promise. Here it is in chapter 16. Sarah said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. 
And if you know that instant, you'll know the whole situation becomes very messy with conflict within the family, within the home as a result of what happened. What happened to Abraham and Sarah? They have a failure of faith. They have a crisis of faith. They are not prepared to wait any longer, it seems. Waiting has become too much for them. They have lost confidence in God and in God's promise that he will fulfill his word. And sadly, as a consequence, they pay for that. There are consequences to their impatience. But Isaac doesn't follow in his, in his dad's footsteps, does he? Isaac and Rebecca don't do that. Not in this episode, at least. Isaac is far from flawless because in the very, it's at the very next chapter, he tries to palm off his wife as his sister and puts dear old Rebecca in serious, serious trouble. But here, at least, he's waiting for God to act. He's being patient. And what does he do? He's praying for God to do this. And that's our example. What we do in this period of waiting. You see, you can either do what Abraham did or you can do what Isaac did, can't we? You can either wait patiently and prayerfully. Or you can try and take things into your own hands. Try and hurry God along a little bit. The second option always spells disaster. Always. Because when we wait, there is a temptation as we wait, isn't it? And sadly, there are some churches who have lost patience with God. And they give in to this temptation of doing things their own way in order to try and get results, in order to try and hurry God along a little bit as they see it. God doesn't appear to do things quick enough for them. And this is the temptation we can have, this church can have, our church in Laban can have this same temptation. You see, there's no doubt that we believe, don't we? God will build his church, that's what we're told. Jesus said that. But we can be become impatient with that, can't we? And we want God to build our local church. And we want God to do it now. But his promise is to build his church. And he will do that. Where he builds our local churches or not, he will build his church. And all of his elect people will indeed be in his heavenly home. You know what happens when we become impatient as individuals but collectively as churches? We try to accomplish God's purposes by using our own means. And that will spell disaster for us. God has ordained means for us in building churches. And one of those means is to pray. To pray. I, I do tell our folks in Laban, and I do mean this, we are quite blessed in Laban. Our midweek prayer meetings are extremely well attended in comparison to uh, our Sunday attendance. Extremely well attended. 70, 80% of people, sometimes 90% of our people will be out at the prayer meeting. And we've introduced a Saturday lockdown prayer meeting on Zoom, which is still going. And extremely well attended. 
But that's not always the case, is it? I don't know what it's like here, but it's not always the case. As I listen to pastors and elders, they lament often the state of their church permanence. The absence of believing people at prayer meetings is, I think, significant in our nation from what I observe. What's happened? I think people have lost patience with God. That's part of it, isn't it? We're tired of waiting. And sometimes churches have decided to take things into their own hands. Of course, we must do more than pray, but we cannot do anything else until we have prayed. And you see, one of the reasons why God makes us wait is to test us in this area of prayer. And to encourage us and to motivate us to pray perseveringly. Because his promise will be fulfilled. He will build his church. He will come again. Waiting for God helps us and teaches us to pray. Right throughout the Old Testament, as the people of God waited for the coming of Messiah, what did they do? One of the things they did was they prayed. They prayed. That's what we must do as we wait for God to fulfill his promises of building his church and the promise of his return. I wonder when the last time was that you prayed and I prayed for the Lord to return. It is one of his promises, isn't it? So why don't we pray for it more often? The very almost last words in the book of Revelation says this, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. It's a long time since I heard that prayer. Prayer in a public prayer meeting. And yet, we have a specific promise that Jesus will come again. And that he will build his church. And surely those are the sort of things that we should be praying for. But of course there are many things, aren't there? That we don't have specific promises from God for. So what do we do with those things? Things like your hospital appointments. When will they come? If they ever come. Or the hospital treatment. The medical condition that you are suffering from. The family member that you're praying may come to Christ. When will they ever come to Christ? Or in these days, when will things ever get better in our nation concerning a virus? But what do we do for, in these situations? Well, we do what Isaac did, don't we? We pray. We pray about them. And then we go on with doing whatever we need to do to fulfill God's will, God's purpose. So what does that look like for us then in our churches? Well, I think it means privately and publicly we will pray for God's will to be done. Whatever that is for us. Concerning the various issues that we have no specific promise, we need to submit ourselves to the will and purposes of God, whatever that is. And we have to say, Lord, whatever you want in this situation, I submit to you. What does it look like to pray for God to build his church? What does it look like in a a church situation? It means that we will be actively, sacrificially engaged 
in the work of evangelism. It means that we'll be actively involved in living godly lives in an ungodly unchristian world. It means that we'll be setting our minds on things above rather than on things on the earth. It will mean that we do not live for this world but for the world to come. So let us wait for God to act. Let us wait and pray as we wait. And then finally, as Christians remember, one day the waiting will come to an end. This is the most encouraging bit of this text for me. Because here in this passage, we have the twins are born. Now, the birth of any baby is a moment to rejoice. It is a wonderful experience. It's wonderful for parents, it's wonderful for grandparents, it's wonderful for friends and family, it's wonderful for church families. So here's Abraham and Sarah waited 25 plus years. Rebecca and Isaac wait for 20 years. But in both cases, there came a day when the waiting was over. One day Isaac was born. One day Jacob and Esau were born. God kept both couples waiting a long time. But God delivered on his promise, didn't he? God kept his word and the messianic line is back on track once again. And in the Old Testament, God kept his people waiting for centuries. But God kept his word. And then through the Virgin Mary, Jesus comes into the world. Jesus kept his word. And Jesus has been keeping us waiting 2,000 plus years now. And he hasn't come back yet, has he? And we're still waiting. But we can be sure that one day the waiting will be over. One day. And we're waiting for the church to be completed. For all God's elect people to be called in to his assembly. And we're waiting. And we're waiting. And we're waiting. But one day the wait will be over. And we can do it. We know that because this word is encouraging us to do that. Abraham said, I waited, but it was over. Isaac went back and waited, but that period of time came to an end. The Old Testament saints waited, and Jesus was born. And here we are waiting, and one day, Jesus will come, and the work of the church will be complete. He will keep his word, you see. He will keep his promises. And in the meantime, we must wait Patiently, and we must wait prayerfully. Because when he comes, everything will be changed, won't it? Everything will be changed. And all that waiting will finally be worthwhile. I have a number of friends who I've known for years who, who waited for hip operations. Some waited a very long time. Some are still waiting at this moment in time. But those who had to wait and had it, tell me, 
It was worth waiting for, they tell me. It was worth waiting for. They tell me I'm like a new man or I'm like a new woman. That's a poor illustration, I know. But as we wait, maybe for a very long time, when that waiting is over, we'll be able to say, we're new men. We are new women. We are the people of God that God wanted us to be. But Jesus Christ will come. He will fulfill his word. He will complete what he says. And that leads me with one final comment. If Jesus keeps his word, if God keeps his word, and if Jesus will come again, then that leads me to ask you, where will you be? Where will you be? When he comes. Perhaps you've been waiting a very long time in this world. But you've never come to know Jesus. You've never trusted in him. You're relying on something else, a church attendance, a family background, a family upbringing. Whatever your your situation will be. But it will be too late then when Jesus comes. Now is the day of salvation. So I would urge you, if there's anybody in this building, I would urge you to come to this Christ, this Savior, this Jesus, who actually keeps his promise, who came into the world to save and is in the business of saving today and will one day complete all that he promised by bringing his saved people to their heavenly home. So what are you doing as you wait? I hope you're waiting with prayer. But I hope you're waiting with expectation as well. Because he will fulfill his promise. He will keep his word. He will return. He will come again. He will complete the building of his church. Amen.